Well, we start our series today on, it's called Identity Theft. And as we start and begin this series, we're, we're looking at the idea that um, uh, there is more going on than what we see. And uh, even what we see sometimes doesn't betray what's really going on. And marriage is a great example of that. That sometimes our words don't match our body language. We're saying one thing, but our body language is saying something else. In fact, got a little quick video that I want to just show you that it, uh, illustrates the difference. Go ahead. I can't believe this. Can't believe what? I can't believe I've been married to the most amazing, wonderful, beautiful woman for the past two years, six months, and three days. I love you. I love you too. I got you these flowers and this tiny teddy bear for no reason at all. Here. Uh, I love them. They're adorable. You're so sweet. Here's some chocolate. What movie are we gonna watch tonight, sweetie? Hopefully one of your favorite romantic comedies. That sounds wonderful, but I thought instead we could watch sports. Fine. Also, I made this steak dinner for you. That is my favorite thing to eat while watching sports. Here's your steak knife. <laughs> Have a great day at work, sweetheart. Thank you, I will. You're the air that I breathe. Oh, thank you, you're the best. You are. We are. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> oh. Sometimes not everything is as it seems, right? And when it comes to life and relationships, that's exactly the truth. And as we start off this series, we want to look at our identity in Jesus and look at a relationship with others and consider what's underneath the surface. I would like for you to imagine with me for a moment that you receive a phone call, and in that phone call, you're informed that somebody using your name and your credit card information has purchased $1,000 of stuff in Arkansas that you would never buy and you've never been to Arkansas. And they're asking you if that is you, and perhaps you've received a phone call like that before where someone got your information and they snatched it. Well, the truth is that in the United States, actually worldwide, the number one threat to people today is identity theft. And identity theft is something that we're all dealing with. Even recently, major corporations have been invaded and the information on the web got out there somehow and the, your private information, Target Corporation, for example, and caused major damages to people's identity. And it's not only that, but I, there's a recent USA Today uh, research article in 2016 where it talked about the number one consumer fraud in America. It can result in being hounded by debt collectors or debts you did not incur, becoming unable to access your own credit cards, bank accounts, or brokerage accounts, having your assets stolen, being arrested for crimes committed by people who have stolen your identity, or receiving improper medical care because your medical identity has been stolen and your medical records have been corrupted. In addition, identity theft can ruin your credit rating, which can affect your chances to get a loan, a job, get insurance, or rent a home. And the truth is that we're often our own worst enemies, the USA Today article says, when it comes to protecting ourselves from identity theft. 
For one thing that all of the above named data breaches had in common is that the sophisticated malware used to steal the personal information of hundreds of millions of America, Americans was downloaded in each instance through the use of a social engineering technique commonly referred to as phishing. Phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, occurs when someone receives an email that lures the person receiving it into downloading an attachment with malware or clicking on a link within the email that automatically downloads keystroke logging malware that enables the hacker to steal all of the information from the computer of the unwitting email recipient. <sighs> Identity theft. How many of you have experienced one form or another of that? It's scary, right? And you consider how do you protect yourselves. But let me suggest to you today that our souls are also under attack. And the ultimate fisher or thief is talked about by Jesus. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles out right now. If you have your Bible, just hold it. Let me see it. Bring your physical Bible to church or your, your or phone or your tablet, okay? Turn to John chapter 10 with me. And I want you to see very simply how Jesus addresses this issue of identity theft. And he says in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking about people and he's talking about the forces on people and he's talking about himself and he's talking about our enemy of our soul. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And he's talking about the thief that's coming to do something. And Jesus says that there's a very real enemy of your soul and he has a name and it's thief. Everybody said thief. Thief. So he's saying there's somebody out there. It's not just some nebulous other and it's not a person that we necessarily see, but the thief is out there. And this thief didn't create anything. He didn't create a, a single thing. He didn't earn anything. All he can do is rip off somebody else's creation. And the thief is out to get you. He's out to get not only you, but those that are closest to you, your friendships, your marriage, your, your uh, family relationships. He's out to rip you off, perhaps ruin your career. He wants to destroy you. And so he's thieving, he's stealing, he's coming after you. And the greatest place of theft that he works is in our relationships. And his work is based on deception. He makes you think that one thing is happening only to rip you off and leave you feeling empty. Now the devil has been involved in identity theft since the very beginning of creation. If you remember, when Adam and Eve were walking together in relationship to God, they could walk and talk and they had face-to-face -face relationship with God. They were connected to him and then the thief in the form of a serpent came in and he offered up an alternative and it was just one little thing. It was one bite of a fruit. It wasn't that big of a deal. He was fishing. And as he came after Adam and Eve, he offered them an opportunity and he, he slid in a, a, a slick little lie to get them to receive that and, and to take that fruit in. And of course, what happened after they sinned? It broke their relationship with God. They were hiding from God. They're moving away. How many know God saw them, but in their heart, they were separate from God. And the enemy still does that to this day. He tries to separate people from God. 
He wants to separate us through fishing. He, he offers up other things that kind of take us down a path away from God. But it didn't stop there because it wasn't just about Adam and Eve and the relationship with God. It was also about Adam and Eve and the relationship with each other. Immediately, there's the first fight in the garden. Who did this? The woman you gave me. It was like immediate. It was like that was the very next thing. And that's how the thief works. He doesn't want to just steal from you. He wants to steal from the close relationships that you have. And not only that, he wants to take it to the next level by going to the next generation. Because the sons in the very next couple of chapters, Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother. Can you see how the enemy works? He steals something and then he wipes out a whole generation of people. He goes after the next generation as well. And his strategy is still to attack our identity. Now there's one thing that I want you to catch here today. And we'll talk more about it in the next couple of weeks. But I've discovered as a youth pastor over 10 years here at the church, the next 10 years I was at North Central University, taught youth ministry and youth development and adolescent psychology, watched family development issues. How many know that whatever happens in the teenage years blows up in the adult years? And I have discovered that a person who doesn't know who they are, who doesn't understand that they're loved and cared for, do crazy stupid things in the search for love. In the search for identity, they want to be good enough, and so they try to outdo other people. Or they want love, and so they give their body up to, to something that they should never give their body up to. Or they drink, or they, they, they go into drugs. They go into different things, or relationally, they, they use people for themselves. And I would argue with you that when it comes to God, our identity needs to be rooted in him. And when we know we're in him and we are his children, as Galatians chapter 3 says, Galatians 3 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As his children, we are safe, we are secure, and we don't need anything outside of us to be happy. Okay? So the enemy, what he wants to do in order to destroy our relationships is he wants to go in and snatch our identity as a child of God. That's his ultimate aim. If he gets our identity, he shuts down every relationship around us. He prevents us from fulfilling the purpose that God has on our life, and he shuts us down. And so he's coming after our identity. So I want to challenge you today. Consider not the people around you and how they need to change, not the, the culture around you and how it needs to change, but maybe consider yourself and say, God, how can my identity be even more rooted in you so so that everything outside of me is functioning the way it's supposed to function. Amen? So that's the beginning of this series. And Jesus gives us a clue of how the thief will go about stuff. And I want you to look at the rest of John chapter 10. That verse again, verse 10 again. says, so Jesus, the thief works in a progressive manner. Look at how he does. The thief's purpose is to steal and, and, so he wants to start with stealing, then he wants to move to killing, and then he wants to destroy. So let's look at stealing. What does he do when he steals? 
He wants to steal our confidence. He wants to steal our ability of knowing what is right versus what's wrong. He wants to distort our ability to understand right versus wrong and up from down. And our sense of right versus wrong has been robbed. And as a culture, I would say in 2016 in the United States that we have full-blown robbery of truth going on. In fact, people are saying, do whatever feels good to you. Whatever feels right. That's like the rule of the day. People are choosing gender based on what they feel for a moment. We're turning things over to feelings. And yet the Bible says that we're born into sin. We're trusting in our sin nature to determine our pathway. Does anybody else see where there's a problem there? I don't trust just what I want to do and what I think is right because if I follow my way, the Bible says in the end it leads to death. So the Bible, it was really clear that his stealing, the enemy comes in to steal and he distorts the truth. And if you look around you, it's much like it said in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. See the distortion there? Or that time in Israel's history in Judges chapter 17, each one is doing what is right in their own eyes. People are looking for love, they're looking for stuff, they're looking for help, they're looking for approval, they're looking for resolution, they're looking for peace, they're looking for happiness, and they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And it does feel good for a moment. As the Bible says, sin is fun for a season. It does work for a moment, but its end is death, and they're chasing things. And listen, when he robs you of hope, you do stupid things. When you lose your sense of what you're doing it for, or you grab after something and you think it's going to be the thing that makes you happy, but it's like grabbing a puff of smoke and it ends emptily, and you feel empty inside, then I'm telling you this, it makes you do stupid things. Remember Pastor Mark Dennis used to say that the job description of a sinner is to sin. <laughs> so I'm not mad at people for doing sinful things around us. What I'm challenging you to consider is don't be stupid. In other words, don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, getting the same results, and wonder why you're feeling so empty. Why not turn a different direction? Why not wake up and go, you know what? I think the thief is ripping me off. This ain't working. My relationship isn't working. Our marriage, something's not working right. And we're trying to do different things. Maybe the thief is slivered his way in. Secondly, he says, after stealing and robbing those things, that he kills. He doesn't want to just hurt a marriage. He wants to kill a marriage. He's not just hurting you. He wants to murder you to take you out. And you can see that process in people's lives when they start down a particular pathway. And if they allow that to take over, it eventually kills them. I saw this as a youth pastor when I would see little girls who had a distorted view of themselves. And I don't know how it started. Maybe it was rejection. Maybe they were looking for the love of a father or whatever. And they end up as anorexic and when they get into anorexia, it distorts the truth so much that if it's allowed to go unchecked and there's no intervention, the end is death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he wants to kill. 
I was looking through the newspaper a while ago, and I, I heard the story of a death of a 12-foot-long African rock python. And park rangers came upon it, and its stomach was bloated. So they did an autopsy. And inside they found a 30-pound porcupine. A 30-pound porcupine. Now, this python was used to swallowing everything, and it was okay. You get it? Digested over a period of time, and everything was fine. But this one thing it did messed it up, and it was a porcupine. And the quills were so sharp, it pierced the internal organs of the python, and it eventually killed it. You know what the enemy wants to do? He doesn't want to just steal. He wants to get inside you and, like a porcupine, take you out. He wants to kill your relationships. And let me just be clear about this. I have to watch how much of the preach I get up on my knee this morning. But I want you to know, when you see things getting robbed from a relationship, something's lost, the marriage love has grown cold. When you see disruption between parents and kids, and kids, when you begin to realize and wake up that somehow you're pushing away that are the people that are love you the most in your life and your parents or friends around you. When that begins to happen, don't think it's just a little thing and you'll get it all back. Ultimately, if you swallow it and stay on the path that you're on, it will kill everything around you. That's the enemy's goal. That's his purpose. The thief comes to steal and to kill. You got to deal with it. You don't just let it go. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got to deal with it. <laughs> I didn't say I got to deal with you. <laughs> Just gotta. The third thing is this. Jesus says to steal and then progressively kill. Then finally, third, to destroy. And the thief has an agenda not only to destroy you, but to destroy relationships generationally. He wants to come after your kids. He wants to destroy the next generation. He wants to take them out. And dysfunction works that way. How many of you grew up and you're like, I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my dad. But how many of you know you became just like your mom and your dad? It's amazing to me how function and dysfunction are passed from one generation to the next. The only way that it doesn't happen is if you determine that I'm going to change the dysfunction in me so that it doesn't pass to the next generation. See, the enemy wants to come in and destroy you. It's not just, well, we argue sometimes and, and we're, I'm, I'm a little cranky and I know that's just me, that's my personality. No, if you allow that to continue unchecked, not only will it knock out your marriage, not only will it take out your friendships, it will kill your kids in their journey and their relationships. It's really important for you to deal with what the thief is trying to steal so that it doesn't pass to the next generation. It's really important. Well, Satan has gone this way and he's infiltrated systems and government and cultures for hundreds and thousands of years now. For example, back in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, there were slave ships and the slave trade came in because the deception of the enemy was such that some person was called not human 
or lower forms of human. And so cultures separated themselves. It still happens, by the way, in economics and different parts of the world where classes can't interact with each other. And for slavery, those ships would go dock on the shores of Africa and they would go in, these troops would, and they would take over tribes and towns and they would take whole families and they would separate husbands from wives and dads from their children. And then they would go to other places on the planet, including the United States. And as they did, now these kids that were raised in these circumstances grow up and they have kids. And they were born into slavery, never knowing their father, never knowing how to be a father. And because of that, generations, decades later, in the United States to this day, families are struggling in the African-American community because of the evil that was done to them generations before. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So am I saying they're different? No, I'm saying that that's how the enemy works. He wants to take out your kids, your grandkids, and the kids after that. Long after you're gone, the enemy wants to rob you. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy you. Or how about this? Somewhere along the line, people decided the only way that we could deal with unwanted pregnancies is to call the baby inside a woman not human. It is so distorted, so wicked, and so not even logical to not call a baby inside a woman a baby. It's not even logical, but our entire culture has shifted their thinking because it excuses other behaviors. And what's discovered is now, 40 years later, after Roe v. Wade, all those years later, people are hurting. We've got women and men, even in our, under the sound of my voice, that I want you to hear the mercy and the pain in my voice, not the, not the, the pointing of the finger or the enemy's uh, uh, anger at you. We're hurting. We have couples that are hurting years later. And the enemy wants to destroy you. And he wants to rob your ability to have hope and purpose in the future. And then sin becomes that new normal and it, people don't even know they're doing right versus wrong. I'm, I'm saying all these things because Satan and the system of the world are out to systemically kill you and destroy you after he's robbed you. And if he can get you, he can get your kids and then he gets their kids. If he can steal your identity, he can kill your relationships and destroy your future and the future of those that are closest to you. And I've observed over time the individuals that have wondered, why does it seem like bad things keep happening to me, to my relationships? Perhaps somebody before you messed up, allowed the enemy to steal some things, and you are the child or the grandchild of somebody else's robbery. And you're wondering, why is that happening to me? It's because of the thief. It's not God. It's not Jesus' purpose. It's the thief's purpose. Let's get that straight. And I want to do something today. I want you to contrast that with what Jesus says in the very next breath of John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, everybody said my purpose. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. On the other side is Jesus saying, hello, 
all this stuff is happening to you. All this stuff is after you. But I offer me. I offer life. I offer hope. Jesus steps in and says, I don't want none of that. I'm going to give you something different. I am the good shepherd, he says in verse 11. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The thief comes to take from you. Jesus says, I give you me. He didn't ask for anything back. He gave himself for you. And his purpose is to give a rich and a satisfying life. And he calls himself the good shepherd because his focus is on his sheep. It's on you. It's on your well-being so much so that he sacrifices his own life for you. He restores what is stolen. He gives purpose to the life, and he brings joy to relationships. Now, I want you to hear me today, because if you would turn, and instead of uh, following the thief, and you begin to follow the good shepherd, there's something that happens. You begin to discover a new life, new possibilities. Out of dysfunction, God can bring function into your life. Out of pain, he can bring joy. Out of hurt and rejection. He can bring new things to your life. So even if you are the, the victim of something that somebody else chose to do, you need to know this. Jesus brings life if you follow him. And following Jesus is not attending a church on a Sunday morning for one hour where you feel really good and you worship your Lord and you acknowledge what the preacher said and you go out and live your own life where the thief rules and reigns on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. No, following Jesus says, I'm going to turn. I'm going to get, begin to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to follow what you say. It's saying in the word, the word is something that's not just something to be read or acknowledged. It's not a rule book. It's a way of getting relationships back in my life. It's taking all those things that were stolen from me and getting them back and having a purpose and a future and a hope. And let me give you three things that following Jesus will do in the way of Jesus. The first one is this. The way of Jesus will restore how you see yourself. The way of Jesus will restore how you see yourself. You're like, I don't even know how to think about myself. All I got in my head is the words from people that spoken things into my mind. Some of you have, have looked at different things, perhaps pornography or things that have distorted and polluted your brain. I want you to know that's, that's not permanent. If you take the word and you're able to read the word and you begin to follow and you begin to read that word, then what he does is he begins to transform your mind. He begins to change you. It's not just a book. It's something that actually changes who you are. And when it changes who you are, it begins to affect how you relate to the people that are around you. This is why when we talk about reading the Bible, it is no joke, baby. It's not a joke. Some of you look at me like, I, it's boring. I don't want to read it. Have you really tried? As a pastor, I'm really tired of people acknowledging and ready to hear me preach the word when I know you reading the word on Monday will change your life more than you hearing the word preached to you on Sunday. When you get up and you actually open the book, now all of a sudden your mind has a chance to change. Come on, I'm about to preach now. 
There's enough people out there that spend their time acknowledging Christian truth so much that they know Christian phrases and Christian songs, but they don't know the word. And it's only the word that defeats the enemy in your life. It's the word. You're like, I don't, I don't know how to read. Uh, you know, some people have challenges reading or perhaps you're dyslexic or whatever. You can get a Bible app and the word can be read to you. No excuses. You have that word and the word becomes the sword of the spirit. You need it. And the way of Jesus will restore how you see yourself. You're like, I, I have a low self-esteem. I don't like how I look. I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody loves me. And those may be lies planted in you, but they are not the ultimate truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the word of God. When you get to know him and he gets in your mind, things begin to change inside of you. You'll think about yourself different when you read the word. Secondly, the way of Jesus will transform dysfunctional relationships. The way of Jesus will transform dysfunctional relationships. When you follow Jesus, it's amazing to me, but he has a way of transforming what just doesn't seem to be working. Marriages that are broken, friendships that aren't working, parenthood that doesn't work with kids. The way of Jesus, when you follow him and you begin to follow his ways in your everyday life, there's an amazing transformation in the relationships. This is why. In the Old Testament, you read the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about how we worship God. They're vertical. But the next six are all about how we relate to other people. See, God's not into just worshiping him. He's into the relationships in your life. You read through the New Testament, there's constant affirmation of how the Spirit wants to work in you and the fruits of the Spirit enable you to be loving and kind and patient to the people that are around you. If all you got inside of you is the other stuff, then you got to replace it by following the way of Jesus. Ah. Number three, number three, the Bible and biblical community are the beginning of identity transformation. The Bible and biblical community are the beginning of identity transformation. This is why when I think about the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, you can get all the cute little stories you want from any internet preacher or whatever you want. And you can get cute stories from me. But I'm telling you, the Bible is what changes you. The Bible better be what we're agreed upon in this church. Because otherwise, the distorted identity theft is taking place in churches all over. Believers are missing the voice of the Spirit. They've lost it. They begin to believe a lie. But the only way that you avoid that is by staying focused on the Word. And then biblical community. What is biblical community? That's why we got to study the word. What is biblical community? How should I relate to my wife? How should I love my kids? How can I take care of them? How can I serve them? How can I be what God has called me to be? And then we talk about life groups around here all the time. You know, we need each other. We need to be around other believers. They're going in the same direction we are. And listen, when you're in friendship with other believers, nobody's perfect. If you're perfect, you're not allowed in our church. I'm sorry. So we have imperfect people, right? And if we're imperfect, somebody's going to bug you in relationship to you. The beautiful thing about biblical communities, if you do something wrong, I'm not going to push you out of my relationship. There's grace between each other to grow and to change. And when you go through difficult times, I'm going to help you go through it. I'm not going to let you lie to yourself. I'm going to stay in friendship with you. 
but I'm not going to leave you. That's biblical community. Are you hearing me? We'll talk more about that next week. And then when you discover yourself, he, through discipleship, changes you over time in relationship with other believers. Now, let me give you a sense of what Jesus exemplified this dysfunction to function and how he's not afraid of our failures when he comes into the world. I want you to look at John chapter 4. I'm not going to go into depth on this text, but I want you to see just a practical example of how Jesus walks up to the Samaritan woman who is going to fetch some water. And it says in John chapter 4, verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jesus did. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Which, by the way, I don't want to go into this, but Jesus was not afraid of crossing over because he cared about people. Even beyond some cultural rules. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give him will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, I just want to stop here because I want you to catch the context. This woman had been through five men plus one. Okay? She had tried every well, every relationship. She was searching for something. She just wanted to be loved. She kept trying. This is a commentary on our generation, if there ever was one. She kept trying to to find herself, to be happy. And now she's at the point of her journey where she's probably given up on romantic love. She's given up on any hope of anything good happening in the future. And she has to go get her water at a time that the rest of the town wouldn't go. She was ostracized from the rest of her town. And guess where Jesus chose to go? He chose to go right up to that broken down, dysfunctional woman because he cares about those who are in dysfunction. I want to give you hope today that the Good Shepherd isn't only there for perfect people. He's not just looking for people that got it all together and had the perfect family and everything is just absolutely perfect. No, Jesus comes up to those that aren't feeling like they got it all together. They're struggling with lies. They're considering uh, stupid decisions in their life. And they've lost hope. And Jesus walks up to this woman. It's a story of striving and searching for love. Five times she had given love a chance by getting married, and each relationship had left her soul thirsty. But Jesus doesn't ignore dysfunction. He approaches to bring restoration. And this is my point today.
I want you to know that no matter what you're experiencing in identity theft, if you root yourself in Jesus in the way of the good shepherd, you will discover that he will develop peace and hope in your life, and he can restore relationships that have been broken. He pointed at the innermost part of this woman's being, and he said that's where the source of life will come from, and it will be a bubbling spring that does not run out. It's not a one-time fix. It's not just something that you feel good for a moment, but he will continue to restore identity and the restorations of her relationships. See, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy, Jesus said. But my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Now, I want to conclude today by giving you a real-life example of a very close friend of mine who had the guts to write down a letter about his story. I'll just call it a letter from John. That's not his real name. But he said this. I've grown up my whole life never knowing who my biological dad is. It never really bothered me. I think it's because I had a father figure during my years as a toddler and through middle school. I was adopted by John. He was a great person that, the, that my mom loved, and he became my dad. I remember he would come to almost all of my baseball games and supported me in almost everything I did. He had his own personal demons he was fighting, though. John had an addiction to alcohol. When he was drunk, he was like a different person. He became increasingly more aggressive in his personality, became verbally abusive, and sometimes that turned into physical abuse. He would go out all night, and sometimes my mom and I wouldn't see him until the next morning. He reeked of booze and cigarettes, and I remember most of those nights pretty vividly. My mom, worrying, called, calling him relentlessly and sobbing in her bedroom, and I hated this about my dad. It, I was in seventh grade. Isn't that interesting how much happens to us earlier in our life? I was in seventh grade and confused. And I thought, why does he do this? Doesn't he love us? And one morning, dad came home after being out all night. And this time was different. He didn't smell like the normal booze and cigarettes. This time he smelled like his clothes were doused in perfume. I could smell it in the living room after two minutes of him walking in the door. My mom was furious, hurt, and broken. I was upset for her, but was torn because he's my dad. I was confused. And this scenario would happen two more times over the course of a year and a half. And by my freshman year of high school, it finally ended. They divorced each other. And at this point, bitterness and hatred was well-rooted in my heart. I wanted nothing to do with him. What I didn't know was this situation would haunt me in my 20s. Throughout high school and college, I made poor decisions when it came to relationships. I had a lot of relationships, mostly short ones. I dated girls because it made me feel good about myself, and as soon as the relationship showed any long-term commitment, I was gone. I feared so many things. All of these fears stemmed from my history with my dad. I didn't want to do what my dad did to my mom and I, and no matter how much I wanted to experience true love, I avoided it. This mindset put me on a path of destruction, emotionally destroying any woman that I came in contact with. This was me who I was for years. The enemy unhatched a plan to destroy me before I even had a fighting chance, and the choice my dad made while I was in middle school would echo throughout my entire life, persuading me to choose fear and doubt instead of love and trust. Today, I'm thankful because I stand a completely different man, changed by love and the grace of Christ. God placed specific leaders and mentors in my life that would challenge me to come to grips with my past 
It's when I recognized what was stolen from me that God had a chance to fill this void in my life. My girlfriend at the time left me with an ultimatum. We're in this for real or it's over forever. She was tired of a guy who couldn't commit. I was terrified, but I knew God placed this woman in my life for a reason. I knew I couldn't live without her. And today we're happily married. God has healed the wounds. Yeah in my heart and from the dysfunction of my past. And when I look back at all that has happened, I will forever remember the time in my life where God showed me that there can be new beginnings, that I don't have to make the same decisions my dad made, and that he can replace anything and everything that's ever been stolen from me. Amen. Amen. Church, I want you to know that before you are two options of a way. You can allow the thief to continue to steal and to kill and destroy, or you can turn to the good shepherd and trust that he can lead you even out of the worst of the worst circumstances. Even when you don't know yourself and don't trust yourself, if you trust in Jesus, he can make the crooked way straight. And I know that today our hope begins with him. This is why I didn't go into a whole lot of practical how-tos with your relationship today as much as to start with, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the good shepherd in his way? Or are you going to choose to allow the thief to lead you? And I know he's not done yet. On both campuses, if you'd stand with me today.